You know what I love that we just got to be able to experience together is that all of our sites, all of our venues, so everyone downtown in Fitchburg, Gospel Fusion, Traditions, as you were joining us here in the room, all of our different sites just got to hear from different people, different ministries, organizations, nonprofits that we get the chance to be able to partner with during this season. And, uh, and as all of you have seen, there is a, there's a lot coming up through this Christmas season right now. And so as your senior pastor at Black Hawk Church, here's, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Um, one, uh, do you remember this time last year where we didn't have the chance to be able to be together? Like, you remember that and, uh, and what that felt like? There is something powerful about the fact of us being able to be together. I know for many people, you're watching us online right now and still trying to get to places where you feel comfortable being together. But we encourage you just to come to the different things that we're doing. So with that, I'm encouraging you in this Christmas season, one, to pace yourself, you know, so that we don't go from one extreme to another to where we get done with Christmas and we're all exhausted and feel like what just happened. But also at the same time as a church, for us to be able to, as a community together, to lean in in this season, realizing the impact that um, a community of people like us, the size that we are, the way that God can use us. So, and so I'm asking you to lean in in the way that you pray in this season, in, in the way that you have a chance to at different places and different spots potentially to be able to serve, uh, in the way that you can give generously, in the way that you can invite people, to the different things that are going on, to different services that we're doing online. Because look, there is something so powerful when a group of Christ followers, the size that we are, lock arms and go after the heart of Jesus. Just two weeks ago, uh, we had the chance in the service to be able to share the gospel at the end of the message. And um, we know of 15 people who gave their lives to Jesus for the first time. Come on, that's amazing, that's fantastic. So, and, uh, and so I just say that for all of us to be able to just remember it, God's working in some massive ways around here. And I just wanna take a minute once, just to be able to pray that God during this season, one, would, would affect our lives, and two, would use us in the lives of other people to really understand who he is, his grace, his love, his mercy, his forgiveness that he shows all of us. So can we, can we pray together for just a minute? Lord God, thank you so much for this season where we remember the, the love that you showed us in sending your son. And so, Father, during this season, would you help us as a community to be able to, one, remember ourselves, that it would continue, that the message of Jesus would continue to transform our lives? Would you help us to be able to share that with others? In, in the ways that, that, that we give generously, in the ways that we serve, in the ways that we invite. God, bring people to mind for us that we would pray for, um, that, that your kingdom would look different by the way that you work in this season. So we give this to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people together said, amen. All right. Well, uh, welcome everybody again to Blackhawk Church. For those of you I haven't had a chance to meet, my name's Matt. 
and uh, I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Blackhawk Church. And uh, something for you to know, I, I know that a lot of people know this about me, but I actually, I'm not originally from this area. I am uh, originally from South Florida, uh, back where it is warm and tropical all year round, kind of grew up as a beach kid. And, uh, but a little bit of my story, when I was 18 years old, right, right after I graduated from high school, I decided that um, I wanted to try something a little bit different. And so I decided to go uh, to college uh, at Wheaton College in Wheaton, Illinois, right in the heart of the Midwest. Now keep in mind, okay, so this is the 18-year-old, you know, freshman in college moving to the Midwest, having never seen snow fall from the sky before. And, uh, and so I land in the Midwest with all kinds of hopes and dreams, but I have to be honest, um, as we started into the fall and got kind of into um, winter for me, which was also called October for Midwest people, um, and I realized where I was headed, <laughs> like I, I'm just being honest, I started to develop a little bit of a chip on my shoulder towards Midwest people. So, because like, I kept hanging out with people who actually like, liked winter weather, you know? Like, like, you enjoyed the cold. And I started to realize I did not like the cold at all. And in fact, I mean like, think about it. The world that I came from, it was warm and tropical and sunny with beaches. That's what we had. In the Midwest, they had cold weather and culvers. And like, <laughs> that was kinda it in my mind. You know, and I know some of you are hating me right now. So, and, uh, and so I started to kind of categorize Midwest people. And if I'm honest, like I sort of started to see myself as a little bit better than. I kind of started to categorize and stereotype and judge and see myself from my tropical environment in the past that I was just a little better than Midwest people. Because you were the ones who would come during the winter months to fill my state and take up all the beach parking, you know, when I lived down there. You know, and okay, let's, can we just be honest for a minute? Don't we all kind of do that? Like, think about it for a minute. We see different groupings of people and we categorize them. And, and we stereotype and we kind of put people in particular categories and we kind of, let's be honest, we judge them and put ourselves on a pedestal a little bit higher than different people. Can you think of any places over the last two years where that's been happening in the world? Yeah, that would be a fun conversation. We're just gonna leave it at that right now. But that's exactly what I was doing in, in my life. And so I had actually, after my freshman year in college, I had kind of made a vow that by the time I was done with college, after I was done, I would never live in the Midwest again. So then let's begin with my sophomore year of college. And I head back to Wheaton and um, early on, uh, that year, I went to a women's volleyball game one particular night, and I had a friend that night who introduced me to um, a new freshman on the women's volleyball team, uh, a, a young woman named Rachel Hallworth. And she was from the Midwest. <laughs> and in fact, not just the Midwest, she was actually from a town two hours north, colder into the Midwest, a little town called Madison, Wisconsin. And so we started to hang out together, and from that, we started dating not too long after that. And lo and behold, um, 
she invited me then to come to, uh, yeah, oh, here's a picture actually of the two of us. Don't we look adorable? And look at all that dark hair on me. It actually, I started, uh, you know, dying at gray, you know, not too long after that. So, so anyway, we, that first Thanksgiving, she invites me to come to hang out with her family in, uh, in Madison, Wisconsin for Thanksgiving. And her family was a part of a, a small church here in Madison at that time, a, a little less than 200 people, I think, called Blackhawk Evangelical Free Church. And so um, last weekend, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, 31 years ago, was the first time that I walked through the doors of Blackhawk Church. Isn't that crazy? You see, when I think back to it, and I think about, you know, this encounter that I had with a young woman in the bleachers of a gym my sophomore year of college, her freshman year of college, and the impact that that encounter had on her life and my life. My life looks completely different because of that encounter. I went from a place of judging Midwestern people to, like, becoming a Midwestern person, you know, and, uh, and on top of that, I mean, it goes farther than that. I mean, I think about it. I st- like, if we really t- go down that, that road, the domino effect, the ripple effect of all of it, I, I stand here as the senior pastor of Blackhawk Church because of that encounter. It's just crazy. If you go back and think about your life, about the different interactions you've had with people, the different encounters that you've had, my guess is, is that for all of us, there are those places we think of things and we realize my life is different because of that encounter. The reason why I bring that up is because today we are going to look at a story in scripture of an encounter of two people who are doing their lives and all of a sudden they come into contact with one another. And the story ultimately starts around the idea of categorizing and judging people. And yet through this encounter, the the ripple effect, the domino effect of this encounter transformed the church to the point, if we go all the way down in the domino effect, Pretty much all of us, we are sitting here in the service, watching online, whatever it might be, because of this effect. It's had impact in our lives, and the story is just wild. So we are going to take a look today at Acts chapter 10, if you want to go there. If you've got your Bibles or your smartphones, you can go ahead and go there. We are uh, in the middle of the series where we have been going through the book of Acts for this entire fall. This section of uh, the book of Acts that we're going through, we labeled the second half of this series to the ends of the earth, where we're taking a look at stories of people who from the church are now going out into the world and having a chance to share with people the message of Jesus. And the hope is as we look at these stories that, that, that all of us would have a better understanding of how we can share our faith in today's day and age in a way that would be relevant and understandable for people, that they would understand the love of Jesus in the same way that we do. And, uh, and so that's what we've been doing with the series. Today we go into this really wild story of a man named Cornelius. Now, some of you actually hit me up this past week because you saw that the title of this series this week uh, was uh, Pigs on a Blanket. Uh, Some of you actually have asked about that. Trust me, we're going to get into that really quickly here. So let's go to the beginning of chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing, and he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Okay, we're already seeing 
the life of one of these people who's going to be involved in this encounter. Two main characters, we're looking at one of them, a man named Cornelius. And Cornelius was involved in the Roman, the, the Roman army and he was a leader. He was what was known as a centurion. He oversaw about 100 soldiers. Uh, that's the name centurion. And, uh, and so he, what can we pick up from that? Well, he was a leader. So he had prominence, he had power. He probably had some swagger to the way that he did life. But then on top of that, there are other things that original, an original audience reading this would have, would have picked up on. The other thing, with him being a Roman soldier, they would have known, okay, this person is a Gentile. In other words, they're, they're not Jewish. And, and, and one of the things that we talk about around here, about scripture quite a bit, is that Jewish people and Gentile people, they did not get along. Jewish people for centuries now have been held down by Gentile people, lorded over and oppressed by all kinds of different nations. Right now, it happens to be the Roman government. So the Roman government, man, they are set up to where they have oppressed the Jewish people. And so therefore, the Jewish people, they had kind of a chip on their shoulder towards Gentile people. In fact, they would see themselves as better than. They would categorize them and judge them and probably see Gentile people, really, if we're honest, is not worthy of the love of God. Unless, of course, they were willing to become Jewish, which was never going to happen. So that's something we need to understand about Cornelius as well. He is a centurion in the Roman government. He's kind of a poster child of the Gentile people. So that's something we also need to understand. But there's something different about Cornelius. You see, the thing that we pick up on, it says that he's a God-fearer. It doesn't mean that he was a Christian, doesn't mean that he was Jewish, but he was monotheistic. And in the pantheistic world of the Roman government or like Roman culture, it would have been interesting to see this person as monotheistic. So that's what we need to understand. Let's keep going with this story. Verse three. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone. Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Okay, so can you, can you imagine Cornelius calling these two servants and this other soldier together and trying to explain this story? Uh, yeah, I just saw an angel and you guys got to go find somebody. Joppa was about 30 miles away from where they were at this point. Yeah, I need you to travel two days to Joppa, get there, find this guy, bring him back to me. That's what's taking place. Kind of a wild story. But if you think that's wild, just hang on because we're going to get to look at the other main character now. And trust me, it gets more wild. Let's keep going. Verse nine. About noon the following day, remember, two day journey. As they, the soldier and, you know, the two servants, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Okay, now we don't know exactly what that means. Like, was that a spiritual trance or was it just like, 
I'm so hungry that now I'm getting sleepy. You know, I mean, we don't know exactly what was taking place, but we know something wild starts to happen. Verse 11, he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to the earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Okay, so (laughs) pigs on a blanket. Here we have it. All of these animals and birds and reptiles, all kinds of, you know, animals that would have been to a Jewish person considered unclean are brought down on this sheet. And he's looking at all this. Here's the voice of the Lord saying, go ahead, kill and eat. And Peter, well, Peter's a good Jewish boy. You see, he's never done anything this way. One of the ways that Jewish people showed their ultimate loyalty to God was by the way that they handled food laws. And so Peter in this moment is saying, uh, no, not gonna happen. So how does God respond to him? Verse 15, the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. So... Wild story. This voice comes through. Do not call anything unclean that God has made clean. And Peter's not getting it. So it happens again and then again and then again. And Peter's thinking about all this stuff. It's as if God is saying to him in this moment, look, Peter, I'm God and I made the rules. And if I made the rules, I have the right to change the rules. And Peter is just trying to wrap his mind around all of this as all of this is happening, okay? So here's the story that's taking place. All of this stuff, pigs on a blanket coming down. He's seeing all this stuff. At the same time, Cornelius men are headed 30 miles his direction, Gentiles that he would have nothing to do with. And Peter's like, he's just thinking about this dream right now. And all of a sudden, he hears again from the boys. 17, verse 17. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, The men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up, go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them for I have sent them. Okay, why would this this voice, why would the Lord say to him, don't hesitate to go with them? because he's Jewish and they're Gentile. And in fact, there's a soldier at the door who is telling them that a centurion is wanting him to travel 30 miles. Do you think that would send up some red flags? And so the voice says, nope, you can go with these guys. Trust me on this one, I've sent them. Verse 21, Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one that you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. 
Then Peter invited them in to the house to be his guests. Okay, leave that slide up for just a minute. Peter invited them into the house to be his guests. See, for us, we just think, wow, that's so nice. Peter is hospitable. No, to, an, to an original audience, that would have got their attention. See, Peter's been thinking about all this stuff. Now, remember, Jews and Gentiles were not supposed to have anything to do with one another. Jews never ate with Gentiles, much less actually invited them in to their homes, and yet that's exactly what Peter is doing in this moment. So he has some sleepover guests, and then the next day they travel 30 miles from Joppa to Caesarea in order to go and see Cornelius. He has some different Christians who come with him to travel with him in this moment, and finally, two days later, they arrive at Cornelius's house, and as Cornelius comes out to greet Peter. Peter all of a sudden realizes that Cornelius has, well, he's gathered all of his family and all of his friends to be there, to be able to meet Peter in this moment. It's not just a conversation with Cornelius. And so Peter, as a Jewish man who's supposed to have nothing to do with Gentiles, now is going walking into Cornelius' house, into this room full of people who Cornelius has explained that he has seen a vision of an angel, and so this guy is coming because the angel told him to come. I'm just saying, would this feel a little awkward? Do you think there might have been a little bit of silence? I'm guessing you could cut the awkward tension with a knife in this moment. And so Peter finally addresses the crowd. If you want to jump forward to verse 28, Peter said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit with a Gentile. But God has shown me, listen to this, God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. Do, do you see what Peter is doing in this moment? Peter, standing in front of this entire group of people, is the person who has been called in to speak to the people, and he speaks to them about what God is teaching him about what's been wrong about his heart. That he has seen a group of people as unclean, in other words, unworthy of who God is. It's powerful. And so in this moment, Cornelius goes ahead and says, well, Peter, let me tell you the story. And he tells him all about the angel and all of this stuff that had taken place. And as Peter is hearing all this, remember, he's putting all these pieces together. And he says this in, uh, in verse 34. He says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts every nation, from every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. And then Peter in this moment goes on to share the message of the gospel with this group of people. And it's just amazing. Now, okay, I wanna hit pause here for just a minute and do something with everyone. As Peter goes ahead and starts sharing the gospel with this group, one of the things that I said that we were going to have a chance to do in this series is uh, to learn just sort of an easy way to be able to share the message of Jesus with people. So, um, you know, I mean, if someone were to come to you and say, hey, when it comes to the gospel, like, what is it that you really believe? If someone were to ask you that question, would you know what to say? 
You know, the thing that we realize is there are a lot of people who are like, I'm not sure what to say. So there are all kinds of tools out there that you can grab onto. What I want to give do today is just give you a really easy tool to be able to share with someone rather quickly what it is that we believe as Christ followers. This is one that I heard years ago from a guy named Andy Stanley from North Point Church in uh, Alpharetta, Georgia. Now, there are all kinds of different tools out there, but this one is fairly simple. Um, you could do it. It doesn't matter what age you are, and it's all based around one verse of scripture, John 3, 16, which is the most famous verse in scripture, all just by simply circling four words together. Let's say this verse together real quick, okay? Read this with me. All loud, all sites, all venues, we're all doing this together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal... There you go. So now, here are the things that you need to know about this passage. This is the way that you can share the gospel with someone. You can just simply circle four words and walk through that with somebody. The first word that you want to circle, if you want to do this in your own Bible or highlight it on your phone, is the word loved. What do we want someone to know about the message of the gospel? We want them to know that God loves them. God's, God's not bothered by them. He's not hacked off at them. He's not frustrated with them. He hasn't written them off. You know, the, the, the verse doesn't say, for God was so hacked off at the world that he didn't give the world anything. No, no, no. It says that God loved the world. What do we want? What do we want people to know? We want them to know that God loves them. And God loves them to such a great level, the next word that you would circle is the word gave. God loved the world, so God gave his son. Because isn't it true that for any of us who love someone, when we love somebody, we give to them. We give of our, of our time, of our resources. It's a sign of the love that we have for somebody. God loved the world to such a great level that he gave his son. God saw the problem that humanity had. All of us has sinned and fallen short of God's standards. So there's no way for us to get to God on our own. But God loved us to such a great level that he gave his son to come into this world and pay a penalty we could never pay on our own by his death and resurrection. When Jesus went to the cross, he paid the penalty for all of our sins. God loved the world, so God gave his son. That's what we want somebody to know, really about the message of the gospel. So okay, in light of that then, what does somebody need to do in order to receive this gift? Well, the next word that you would circle is the word believes. Believes. God loved, God gave, so we believe. Now, what does that mean to believe? Well, it doesn't just mean to believe that there's a God. It doesn't mean just to believe that there was a man named Jesus or that he was a great prophet or even that he was the son of God. No, it says believe in. The idea that we get from that word from the original Greek is one meaning to have faith in. Now, one of the best examples that I've seen of the idea of faith all has to do with the bar stool. You've seen this, we've used this here at Blackhawk before, okay? Now, this is a bar stool, and I believe, I mean, that is created to hold my weight up. So, if I sit here and explain to you all the details of how this bar, tool, bar stool was made and why it should hold you up, am I placing my faith in the bar stool? No. Let's say that uh, I were to do this right now. Am I trusting in the bar stool? Not really. 
Let's say that I were to go around in tour, on tour all around Dane County saying, everyone should believe in the bar stool. Am I trusting in the bar stool? No. You see, I'm trusting in the bar stool when I place my weight upon it. You see, all of a sudden, this is a game changer. You see, what we desire to see people do, what does it mean to accept the gift of eternal life that God offers us through his son, Jesus? It's when we place our faith in Jesus. It's me saying, I do not have the ability to save myself, so I am placing my faith in Jesus as the one who pays the penalty for my sins. That's what we want somebody to do. God loved, God gave. What does someone need to do then? Believe in, place their faith in, And then once that happens, it says that they have eternal life. In other words, it's by grace. There's no other step that people need to take. Once you have come to the place of believing in, placing your faith in Jesus, you have eternal life. That's the message of the gospel. All around four words in John 3, 16. So here's one way that you can think about it. An easy way to be able to say it is that God loved, God gave, so we believe and we have. Or if you want it to be cute and uh, and rhyme a little better, God loved, God gave, we believe, we receive. Say that with me. God loved, God gave, we believe, and we receive. This is just an easy one tool, an easy tool to be able to, to share your faith. And as Peter went on in this moment, talking to this group of people at Cornelius's house, he shared something like this with them. The interesting thing is what happened as he shared this message. Let's continue in the story. Jump to verse 44 with me. It said, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. You know what I love about this story? It says here, while Peter was still still speaking these words. In other words, he wasn't done with his gospel presentation yet. I mean, I just think that that's classic. Peter is still sharing the message of the gospel, but the entire room, Cornelius, friends, family, everybody, they had already gotten it and they placed their faith in Jesus and the Holy Spirit is poured out on them. I picture Peter seeing all this happen and he's like, wait, 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 I'm not done yet. Hold on, this isn't supposed to be happening. And the Holy Spirit is like, oh yes, Peter, you are done because I've already done what I needed to do. And these people have come to the place of accepting Jesus as their savior. I've been poured out on them. And it was like Pentecost all over, but with a group of Gentiles. You see, all of a sudden in this moment, It's as if Peter realized these people didn't have to become Jewish in order to be accepted by Jesus. All of a sudden, this group of people who he had written off for so long and seen as unclean, not worthy of the message of God, he had categorized and judged. Now all of a sudden, the door was open for them to be saved just like he was. Man, all because of what Jesus has done and the ripple effect of that moment, it's literally people all around the world sitting in churches right now because of the message of Jesus. Because the thing that Peter learned in this moment was that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. 
The ground is level. In other words, the door is open for all people. There is not a person who you come into contact with who God is not pursuing and desiring a relationship with them. So my question is, for the people who God is pursuing, are there any of them that you and I might be writing off because of the categories that we put people in? (laughs) Because of the ways that we judge people. And we look at them as, ah, they're not worth my time. I'm not gonna, no, I just can't do it. Or they are so far gone, there is no way. Who do you categorize? Who have you written off? What would it look like for God to do a work inside you and me to be able to transform our mindset with the message that we have of Jesus, to transform our mindset, to remember the ground is level at the foot of the cross? What would it look like this week just for you to simply start praying? You know, because one of the things I love about seeing in this, like I love about this story, Peter's heart, it was soft and open to the transformation God desired to do in his life, even as he was changing rules on Peter. What does it look like for us? What would it look like this week just to begin to pray, God, soften my heart and help me to see people the way that you see them. Help me to like, get rid of categories and to realize that the ground is level at the foot of the cross that I might be available to be used by you in anyone's life knowing that you're pursuing all people. Let me take a minute to pray for us right now. Would you pray with me? And while we're doing that, I want to speak to a particular crowd of people. You can just keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed, because for some of you right now, you realize you've, you've never come to the place of accepting Jesus as your savior. And as you looked at John 3, 16, all of a sudden that clicked for you. And, and you realized, yeah, I am the one who is in need of a savior right now. And today you wanna place your faith in Jesus. You realize you can't save yourself, <laughs> but God loves you and God gave his son for you and you believe in him and you're ready to receive that gift. Well, What I'd love to do is just to simply just lead you in a little prayer where you can just simply tell God what it is that you're feeling inside. It's just praying something like this. You can just do this in the quietness of your own heart. You don't have to stand up or raise your hand or do anything like that. It's just praying, God, I I know I'm a sinner and I know I can't save myself. God, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you gave your son for me. God, today, I place my faith in you. I believe in you, Jesus, your sacrifice for my sins. Thank you for giving me this gift. Thank you for what I have right now. God, I pray for anyone who's prayed that prayer today, that you would transform their lives, help them to understand they are a new creation, all because, Lord Jesus, you made the ground level for all people at the foot of the cross. Help us to have soft hearts and to learn that more and more. We pray this in Jesus' name, all God's people together said, amen.